Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is March 19th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we have quite a bit of exciting news. Fans have been clamoring for the Dolphins to make some sort of exciting move here in free agency. And I think the move they made yesterday will be enough to uh, satisfy a ton of fans. It seems like that's generally the reaction on Twitter right now. So we're going to be discussing that. We're also going to be discussing some of the previous moves uh, over the past couple of days because I haven't had an opportunity to really talk about them. So we're going to be going over all of that in today's episode, but overall, just a good amount of Dolphins news, some that I'm very excited about. Now, the first move here, the one that a lot of people are very thankful for, people have wanted the Dolphins to go out and get a receiver. They went out and did that. They signed Will Fuller to a one-year deal, 10 million guaranteed, incentives that could push it up to around 12 million. But overall, the Dolphins get a pretty big splash here in free agency by bringing in former Texans Will Fuller. He is that deep ball threat, that home run guy that the Dolphins have needed. But as I mentioned previously in the other episode, his game has been transforming. We saw last season, the Houston Texans, after they traded away DeAndre Hopkins, there was a big question, can Will Fuller be a true wide receiver one? And even though he's a little bit smaller, he is not necessarily a big prototypical wide receiver one, but his numbers and his stats suggest that he was able to be that guy for the Texans. Now, Will Fuller is a touchdown machine over the course of 53 games, he has come down with 23 touchdowns, which is quite a bit in terms of a touchdown-to-game ratio. Over Julio Jones's last 56 games, he only has 20 touchdowns. Again, that is not to suggest that he is better than Julio Jones, but when it comes to getting touchdowns and coming out with those big plays, Will Fuller is able to do that. If we're talking his chemistry with Deshaun Watson, just absolutely through the roof since day one. In Deshaun Watson's first seven games as a pro, He connected with Will Fuller on 10 touchdowns. So again, there are all the rumors. Can Miami go for Watson? If that's the case, they are adding a guy that he has had an immense amount of chemistry with. But overall, whoever is the quarterback here in Miami is going to benefit from getting a guy like Will Fuller. Now, uh, all of last season, the Dolphins only had four plays of 40 plus yards in terms of receptions. Only four throughout the entire season, every receiver. Will Fuller, through only 11 games, had four on his own. He came down with 12 catches of 20 plus yards, which was more than any Dolphins receiver. And again, he missed the quarter of the end of the season because of that suspension. So what Will Fuller can offer to the team is huge. He's a guy that I've been very big on. Now here, I'm going to include a clip from my Dolphins talk episode. This was last year, all the way back in October, where I suggested the Dolphins should go out here and make a trade for Will Fuller because he complimented what they needed. Uh, Some that I could see making sense. Uh, If you look at the Texans now, who just fired Bill O'Brien, you could potentially call them up and say, hey, you know, could we get Will Fuller? And Will Fuller has also battled some injuries throughout his career, but when he is on the field, he puts up terrific numbers and I think would be a good compliment. The Dolphins, I think, desperately need somebody who can break it big over the top, and Fuller is somebody who can definitely do that. So that's one person who's on my radar, but even then, would they be willing to give up Deshaun Watson's number one receiver? That's, you know, left to be seen. 
Now, you guys could probably tell, but I really love talking about this wide receiver position in general. It's probably my favorite position in all of sports to talk about, and I could dive into it for you know hours on end. I love talking about different teams and how their receivers kind of complement each other. And I think what the Dolphins are building here has a ton of potential in terms of the guys and the different skill sets they offer. And I want to dive into that really quick because here you have Devontae Parker, right? He is your prototypical wide receiver one. He is that bigger guy, that boundary receiver. He is going to to get the attention of the opposing team's cornerback one. And even though he hasn't necessarily been able to stay on the field as much as you would like, I think when Devontae Parker is on the field, he is pretty reliable. I think over time, he has been more and more aggressive with his play style. I think he kind of gets a bad rep because of those initial seasons where he looked a little bit more, I don't know, hesitant when he was out there on the field. But now he looks like he's very aggressive, comes down with a, a ton of acrobatic and contested catches, and overall fares pretty well against the best cornerback of the opposing team. And now you add in here Will Fuller, who's the guy who can break it big over the top. I've seen people posting that clip of Jakeem Grant dropping the ball in that what would have been a massive touchdown. That isn't going to happen with Will Fuller on the field. He's going to offer that. He also has some yards after the catch ability and has really transformed his game to work in the intermediate area of the field. So here you have your prototypical wide receiver one. You have another guy with wide receiver one upside who can break it big over the top your home run threat, and then you have here Albert Wilson. As of right now, if the Dolphins keep him on this team, Albert Wilson, if you think back to 2018, was a tremendous slot receiver. He was a yards after the catch god. He was on a historic pace that one season. There are not many games where I could point to one individual at the receiver position winning a game like I can back in 2018 against the Chicago Bears. What he was doing after the catch, it's not like he was catching the ball 20 yards down the field. He was catching it at the line of scrimmage or maybe a few yards beyond and turning those plays into huge touchdowns. If Albert Wilson can return back to that level, then you have, again, a prototypical wide receiver one, you have your home run threat, and then you have a yards after the catch monster who can tear it up in the short game. So that is all huge right there. You add on top of that, you have Preston Williams who has shown flashes of being a guy who can offer similar things to Devontae Parker. Then you have Lynn Bowden Jr. who's this Swiss army knife who can do just about everything and then you have another guy in Mike Gesicki who's just a big body athletic tight end who is basically just a monster receiver so you have a ton of options here and on top of that you could add another talented guy like Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase in the draft I would not be shocked if this Dolphins group ends up being one of the best receiver groups in all of football because they have that kind of potential they all complement each other so well now there is one negative because it can't all be positive you know, there's one negative that kind of aligns itself with all of these guys and is one common theme here. And I think that is the risk that the Dolphins are willing to take here. And it's that these guys have all had issues with injuries or just being on the field in general. You look at Devontae Parker, I think his availability through recent years has been a lot better. But one of his biggest things was dealing with injuries that kind of flare up out of nowhere and cost him some serious time. On top of that, Will Fuller, that's been his biggest thing. He was suspended for PED last season. He will miss one game at this upcoming season because of it. But before then, he has been battling injuries for some time. If you go back to his rookie season, he played in 14 games. The season after that, he played in 10. The season after that, he played 7. And then in these two final seasons, he played in 11 games, each of them. So staying on the field for the entire course of a season hasn't happened yet with Will Fuller. Then after that, you move on to Albert Wilson, who was having a terrific year in 2018 before suffering a devastating hip injury. It's very 
similar in terms of the mechanisms with what happened with Tua. I believe they both suffered hip dislocations, but the difference was that Tua had a fracture when his hip dislocated uh, back inwards, whereas Albert Wilson did not have any sort of fracture and was able to recover without uh, needing surgery. But at the end of the day, that's also a very serious injury. And I think that he was fine in 2019. The offense was kind of uh, very lackluster, so it made it hard to evaluate him. But again, he is not played for a season, so I don't really know how he's going to look when you compare him back to 2018. And then, of course, you mentioned Preston Williams. He tore his ACL two years ago, and then last year he missed most of the season with the foot injury. So you have a ton of guys here in Miami who have a tremendous amount of upside, but the issue with them is staying on the field and being able to be healthy. I mentioned it in the last episode. I don't want to label any of these guys as injury prone because I don't know if there's any sort of injury they have that necessarily make them more vulnerable to an injury in the future. I mentioned in the other episode that guys like uh, Sammy Watkins with his hamstring that always flares up or guys like Jay Ajayi who had a degenerative knee issue that was going to constantly cause problems. I don't really see that with any of these guys. More so just maybe bad luck so it's hard to label them as injury prone. If there was one guy that I think might be more prone to injury, I guess I would have to say it's Albert Wilson because of how serious it was. But at the end of the day, I can't pinpoint any of these guys and say that one injury in particular makes it more likely that they will suffer another one. So at the end of the day, if these guys can stay healthy, if they can all line up on the field at the same time, that's a tremendous group of guys to have on the field. And again, the potential for adding another guy in the draft here, whether it's Devontae Smith or a guy like Jamar Chase, that is just an amazing thing. Now, if there's one thing that it kind of worries me a little bit, but I understand the thought process behind it is signing Will Fuller to a one-year contract. Because when I look at Will Fuller, as I mentioned, he is a higher risk guy because he could easily go down and miss half a season. But at the same time, he had 879 yards in only 11 games. And the potential for him to have a season, I think like Calvin Ridley had last year with Atlanta, where Calvin Ridley had 1,300 yards receiving and nine touchdowns. I don't think it's far-fetched to say that Will Fuller is capable of putting up a season like that. So if you have him on a one-year deal and you signed him in this situation where everyone was mentioning how the receiver market was crumbling, he is very capable, I think, of putting up another very good year in this upcoming season. And then it's going to be hard to get him. The receiver market could recalibrate itself, you know, post-COVID, all the cap issues, everything could change. And if he has a monster season like that, I don't know if the Dolphins would be able to retain him. But again, I understand why they wanted to go this route and kind of mitigate that risk and not attach himself to a guy who hasn't been able to play one whole season yet. But at the same time, I just kind of worried that that upside could make it hard to retain him if he indeed has a monster season this upcoming year. I think if the Dolphins kind of view themselves as true competitors for a Super Bowl this season, which very well may be the case, then it makes total sense to go out there and try to get a home run. But I am a little bit worried if there are better years or maybe two years from now and you might not have the option of retaining Will Fuller if he does indeed have a monster season. But again, that's just kind of a minor knock. I understand why they did it. That's just kind of me uh, looking a little bit too far ahead into the future. So guys, I would love to know what you guys think about that move in particular. As you guys know, I am a huge fan of it. If it doesn't pan out, it's one of those moves that I will have to take my L because I've been shouting from the rooftops how in favor of it I am. But as of right now, I love the move, guys. Now we're going to move on to the other news here that I had a chance to talk about on Dolphins Talk. So you may have heard about it there, but I didn't have a chance to talk about it here on Via the Source. And it was a acquisition of getting Malcolm Brown from the Los Angeles Rams. 
If you play fantasy football, you know what he is. He is that touchdown vulture. He doesn't really get you a ton of yards, but when he is in the red zone, he is very good when it comes to punching it in. So the Dolphins get a veteran running back here, but I expect his role with the team to kind of uh, be that same thing we saw in Los Angeles. Miles Gaskin, I think, has gotten kind of a bad rep. I don't understand why. I think he had a very impressive year. I think he did his role extremely well as both a receiving back and as a guy who could, you know, be a workhorse back. And I think a lot of people are very down on him. But one thing that I had to say about Miles Gaskin was he kind of struggled in the red zone when it came to punching it in. So you bring in Malcolm Brown here. I think he's going to help tremendously from that aspect and help in those obvious run situations. I don't expect it to be a Jordan Howard situation because I think you could kind of see it on the horizon in that previous year with the Eagles that Jordan Howard just didn't look the same. I think Malcolm Brown has a lot more in the tank and he's going to be a fraction of the cost. So I'm not really worried about this move in particular, having that same sort of bust potential as the Jordan Howard one. But when it comes to his role, I'm expecting it to be that short yardage game. I don't expect him to come in here and compete for a workhorse role. I do expect the Dolphins to still kind of look at this as an area that they could address either in the draft. I've seen Pro Football Network uh, reference lately that uh, the Dolphins are interested in Chris Carson of Seattle, who is an amazing running back, an extremely underrated, just powerful guy who is also terrific as a receiving back. But then the Seattle Times came out and said that that was not accurate. But at the end of the day, I still expect the Dolphins to add someone here again, whether it's Carson, whether it's another veteran running back, or whether it's one of those premium guys in the draft. I don't think the Dolphins are done yet here when it comes to adding people to this uh, running back unit. So the Dolphins also made another move two days ago where they acquired uh, Jacoby Brissett. They signed him, former Indianapolis Colts, former New England Patriot quarterback. He was regarded by many to be the best backup quarterback available. Honestly, if you're asking me, I would give a slight edge to Tarod Taylor because I think he kind of got a bad rep over there in Buffalo and then he wasn't really given a legitimate chance in Cleveland or in Los Angeles over there as a Charger. But I do think that they're very close. I could see the argument being made. And I think that frankly, Jacoby Brissett gave the Colts a better chance at winning than Phillip Rivers overall. So the Dolphins get him here on a one-year deal. You have a guy where if the Dolphins are competitive, something happens to Tua. Uh, Jacoby Brissett here can be plugged in and he's going to give you a relatively high floor, just about as good as you could ask for when you're looking at a backup quarterback. If you're in a position where your season isn't over, if your quarterback goes down and you still want to go out there and compete, Jacoby Brissett will 100%, I think, give you a legitimate chance to beat a ton of good teams. And frankly, he is on that fringe category of being a starting quarterback. I think uh, the gap between him and a guy like Andy Dalton over there in Chicago, you know, it's not that big of a gap. And he could honestly be a quarterback on maybe some of these low-end teams that have a quarterback need. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, an awesome move here for depth. I, you know, I'm hoping he doesn't have to see the field at any point. But if it comes down to it, if they Dolphins need a win and for some reason they don't have to, uh, I think Jacoby Brissett here steps in and he could do a solid job. Now, the Dolphins also had some other moves that may not have been as flashy kind of moves that add depth to this team. And they both involve former Patriots players. We know how Brian Flores spent a lot of time over there and he seems to, uh, you know, refer back to a lot of the Patriots players as we've seen with Kyle Van Noy, Landon Roberts, uh, Ted Karras. We've seen a bunch of guys, former Patriots, have a serious roles with the Dolphins. Well, they get some more guys here. The first of those being defensive tackle Adam Butler. And he joins a group of defensive tackles here that is already pretty strong. I mean, we saw uh, Christian Wilkins is always having an impact on the field. You add on top of that, Zach Sealer, by everyone's expectations, he blew them out of the water. He had a terrific season over there. And then Raekwon Davis, 
Davis, who towards the tail end of the season really started picking up. And of course, we've all uh, seen the pictures about when he was first drafted and how much Brian Flores seems to love the guy. Well, they go here and add another guy here. And this kind of brought up some questions I saw on Dolphins Twitter that could they be adding a defensive tackle here in preparation for them to ship one of the guys, primarily Christian Wilkins, in a package with uh, uh, several other players for Deshaun Watson. I've seen that mentioned heavily. Uh, I believe it was Peter King who had a proposed trade that included Christian Wilkins over there to the Texans as one possible idea. So some people kind of connected the dots on there. You know, again, I can't predict the future. I don't know if that's the case here. As of right now, I think you could approach this whole move as something to add depth to the position, one that is already regarded as pretty strong. Another move that could be considered a depth move, but could also be a guy you plug in and play instantly. The Dolphins elected to sign Justin Coleman, who's a nickel corner on a two-year deal, and he will be competing here presumably with guys like Nick Needham, maybe Noah Igbenogany on other situations. But overall, Coleman is a very solid, reliable player when he is on the field. He was undrafted. And I think the the issue with Nick Needham is he plays very well, you know, a good portion of the time. But it seems like when he has those bad moments, the offense, the opposing team, really hones in on it and they start to attack him. And when he has those bad games, it is a bad game. It kind of drastically shapes that whole side of the field because they attack him relentlessly. And again, I'm not saying that he is bad. He strings together some very solid games. It's usually consecutive games that he plays very well. But in those bad moments, they are very bad. And it seems like they're just really able to pick on him and he isn't able to adapt. So looking at this nickel corner position, I can understand why they could say, okay, we can improve here. We can at least add some competition and see if he can rise to the occasion and let the best player play it out and see how it goes. So it looks like that is what the Dolphins did when they made this move. So overall, I think they're both solid moves, nothing I'm going to write home about, but very interesting and I like the idea of adding some depth to these positions. Now, one of the last topics here I want to discuss a little bit, something I mentioned a few episodes ago, was that Tua seems to be really working out during this offseason, putting on a ton of muscle, and I really want to emphasize how impressive it really has gotten. He seems to be training at a place, I don't want to get the name wrong, I think it's called Perform over there in Miami, and they deserve some credit because uh, Tua's looking jacked. And I think it's very important to note that, uh, you know, Tua entering last season, you could tell that he was lacking a lot of definition, a lot of muscle, primarily in the upper body body. When you looked at him, he almost looked like an ordinary guy. He didn't really look like a true NFL player in terms of being some super athlete like we're accustomed to seeing. I know quarterbacks don't tend to be the most, you know, jacked and athletic guys on the field, but even then it looked like he was uh, definitely lacking some definition in the upper body and in the arms. But it's important to note though that Tua was rehabilitating from a hip injury. I'm sure his primary goal wasn't to build some massive delts and biceps. He was just trying to get healthy enough especially in that hip area, that he could just play at a normal rate again. So I think that's where all his focus was, and he wasn't really able to refine those other parts of his body. But now, as we're starting to see it, Tua is putting on a ton of muscle over there, especially in his arms. He has that whole brachial vein popping out of his bicep. His shoulders are looking massive. Just a ton of progress over there in terms of his physique. Now, it's left to be seen how much of an effect this is going to have. I know a lot of people were concerned with his velocity 
velocity at times on the ball and just generally his arm strength. But if we look at just the amount of sheer muscle, you would think that this has at least some sort of difference, maybe in a, even a significant one because of just how much mass it looks like he's put on. So if you haven't checked it out already, I mean, I've been getting tagged from people who aren't even Dolphin fans, just friends I have and saying, what is this guy on? This guy is looking massive out of nowhere. So it really does look like Tua is putting in a ton of work. Something I said after the season ended was I'm sure Tua is one of those guys that he is going to directly get back in the booth and trying to get, uh, trying to focus on getting better the second the season ended. He mentioned how he wasn't happy with how the season turned out. It looks like he is taking that personal and he is trying to get back to a level where he is proud of how he is playing. So guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. As always, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at Shady Steven. If you want to follow the podcast account, that's where I do most of the tweeting about the Dolphins. That is at via the source. If you enjoy the episode, leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. That does help me a ton. And I appreciate you guys when you leave, uh, you know, some kind words or things that you want me to improve on. If you have any questions or topics that you would like for me to dive into more in future episodes, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, send them over there or send them in the, the podcast reviews. I'll gladly discuss them in a future episode. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Stephen Masso and this was Via the Source.